please join me now in a word of prayer. Lord, we praise you because we are blessed to know you through your Son and by means of your Spirit. We rejoice in your many blessings and opportunities we've had to see you working. Now, knowing your love and knowing your mission and all that you have called us to do through it all, we ask that the more we continue to learn about you, Lord, as we continue to seek you, that we may continue to walk with fear and with trembling in awe of you and be challenged by you again and again. Though that may be hard for us, help us grow as we learn continuously how to better love our neighbors, how to better serve you. Your work in us is never over. You are a God so infinite and complicated that our words can never capture all that you are, and yet you graced us with your Son to see just enough, just how we can live by your example. In this grace, allow us to become all the more humbled by your groundbreaking love and moved to change that we will examine all that we do to reconsider how to be better ministers, better instruments, better ambassadors of your grace. We long to obey your word and follow the path you have set before us. Continue to grant us challenges, moments where it's hard to love, hard to see you, that we may keep searching for you and keep fighting to love. Show us in the midst of those challenges, humility, to recognize our need of you to get us through that. We will fail alone, but it is you who is our strength. Continue to be at work with us even when we feel like we are done and our work is finished. May we continue learning as your children, your shining stars who will represent you to the generations as Jesus did. Assure us now, Lord, that though our work and our laboring is not in vain, but that all we do builds up the kingdom of heaven on earth and demonstrates our devotion to bringing you glory. Holding fast to your word of life, may our whole lives reflect that devotion always. Amen.
Good morning. It's good to see you. And as the musicians, the ministers of music make their way to the congregation, I want to welcome all of you to this time of reflection together. If you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to continue our reading through the first couple of chapters of Philippians in this season of reflection together on Jesus' manifestation in the world, who he is, what he does and the difference it makes in the cycle of the church year. This is known as the season of epiphany. That is the manifestation, the revelation of Jesus' life. And as we listen, we listen at two levels. We listen to what the scriptures have to say to us about Jesus and his identity and his values. And we also listen for how the Spirit calls out of us a certain sort of response to come into alignment or somehow to come alongside that vision so that the vision of who Jesus is becomes knit into the vision of who we understand ourselves to be. This is a very important transformation in our lives, moving from our self-centered lives to ones that welcome and become transformed by the very mind of Jesus Christ. And that is the Christian journey, in a nutshell. Becoming more and more like Christ as we imitate him in the world. In Philippians chapter 2, in my Bible, it is, uh, it is broken up by several headers that are not in the original manuscripts, of course. These are included by editors that help us find maybe some nugget of meaning in the different readings. And today, mine is headed with these words, do everything without grumbling. I'm not sure that's the best way to break out this section. But let's listen together to these words, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, 
as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. Well, if I were editing uh, this section of the scriptures for publication, I could have chosen any number of words to identify maybe the meaning or the thrust or the importance of this particular section that we read today. Um, The editors of this NIV large print study Bible have indicated that it's do everything without grumbling. And so take that for what it's worth. I'm choosing to... uh, head this section instead in my reading today with the opening word and it's a it's a word that is common in the letters of Paul it's not simply buying some time between thoughts but instead is calling us to special attention in the present to something that was just said before and that word is therefore from your earliest Bible study days maybe you you heard that little mnemonic, uh, you know, if you, if, if you uh, run into the word therefore, you go back and figure out what it's there for. And it's a really important step because the apostle is serving notice now to the church and to us that what he has said does not stand on its own, but is now being poured into another thought, another instruction, another teaching, another encouragement a new trajectory. And so we have to follow that. What did we just read? It was last week. It was that amazing hymn that the Apostle Paul sings to the church in Philippi because sometimes our prose just doesn't carry the weight. Sometimes we just have to sing a song. So he calls Myrtle out on the piano and she starts playing. He starts singing and and they start writing. Maybe the church in Philippi sang along with it as it was being read to them. Because it was a song that in many ways captured the story of Jesus. Therefore, as we remember Jesus' life, his identity as a servant, as a slave in this world, setting aside his divine prerogatives as not something to be exploited, but instead in love and in humble service, submitting to the way of this world, even to the point of death, even the cross's death, God has highly exalted him. And raising him up, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling as you have obeyed. That word obey is a difficult word for us to get our hands around and especially to get our hearts around because there are many ways to get obedience out of someone, isn't there? As a parent, I've tried every conceivable method along the spectrum. And those of you who have tried to bring lives into conformity with your expectations know how difficult that can be. What can be enticing enough? What punishment can be punitive enough to enforce the sort of behavior, to enforce the sort of action that we expect? But we know that any sort of externally applied force is only going to be, in a sense, behavior modification. In no way does it guarantee any sort of internal value shift, right? And at the end of the day, how many of us have seen someone complying with our wishes only to be left with that empty sense that they don't really want to do this? They don't want to. I want them to want to do it. Well, how do you accomplish that? Well, it starts with rethinking this word obey a little bit. Uh, I, I was uh, contacted by a church member this week who kind of sent me backward into the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. It was a question about Ecclesiastes, uh, but it got me turning back into the other writings of, of, that are called wisdom literature, writings like Proverbs. Proverbs speaks a lot about wisdom. And the vision of wisdom in the book of Proverbs and even in the book of Ecclesiastes really is something different than simply knowing the rules and keeping the rules. It's instead being able to perceive the grain of our universe, the grain of the way life is to be lived, the grain of God's good intention. It's like a current. And we know if we've worked with wood how difficult it is and how jarring it is and how destructive it is to cut against the grain. But if you cut with the grain, life becomes manageable. Life becomes understandable. And in a sense, you're going with the great flow of life that is the will and the heart and the desire of God. And so wise living, obedience in that point of view is perceiving and participating with the grain of the universe, with the current, the flow of God's work and God's will. When the Apostle Paul then calls for obedience, he's not calling for compliance or else. He's not talking about behavior modification. Instead, he's saying, take a look back at what we just sung about Jesus and look at your life. Does this participate with the grain of that great revelation? Does this in some way go within that current or are we sort of pushing against it? Are we cutting against the grain? Obedience is going with that grain. Our self-interested 
motivations will sometimes lead us against that grain. And so he calls them to consider how their lives can participate in that great life and what that might mean. Obey. You learned to obey when I was there, the apostle says. But now even more in my absence, you need to work this out. None of us can hang on to those crutches that prop us up forever, can we? This past week, I was uh, with Janelle. We were taking Isaac on some school tours of different high schools, and we stopped by one, and they wanted to show us in the AP calculus class because Isaac really loves math and science. So we went in there, and the calculus teacher, everybody looked busy and a little worried, and the calculus teacher showed us where they had some busy work there in the back, and, and I looked at the different sheets, the different problems the students had to work on, and I got really wiggly and fidgety. Triggered is the word sometimes they use. It took me back to my own senior year in high school when I struggled mightily in AP calculus. My father loves mathematics and sat down with me patiently every night and as we worked through, and by the way, Brady, um, Brady is your hookup. If, if anyone wants to just talk about math for the fun of it, Brady loves to do that. I, I don't. But my father would patiently walk through each and every sample problem, patiently, slowly. We had arrived at our solution, but then the work was not done. Then he said, now you have to check it. So then we'd have to work it backward until we arrived. And each and every night, sometimes for hours, he would sit and help me walk through that. But when it came time to take the test, of course, I was on my own. My father taught me how to drive, too. And uh, remarkably patient for someone who was starting from the ground up, taught me all the rules, all the expectations every night, even though he commuted all the way to D.C. and he worked up there and then he'd drive back. It'd be 7 o'clock at night. He'd say, come on, let's get in the car. And we'd drive around. Sometimes it'd be a rural journey. Sometimes it'd be an interstate journey. But one way or the other, he wanted to invest all that he knew and all that he expected of me, especially since he was paying for the insurance at that time, he wanted me to know everything there was to know. But there comes a time when he has to let go. And I have to work it out on my own. Who trembles more? The Apostle Paul? Or this church when it's time for them to work out this word of salvation in their lives? when that voice, that presence that had so guided them to that place is no longer available just simply to reach out and call and touch. Jesus knew that this would be a similar perplexing problem for his disciples when he was gone from their sight. And so in John's Gospel, we hear that powerful word Jesus offers to them, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. We're never as alone as we think. And yet, paradoxically, this word of life that comes to us without our asking is also ours to work out, to take responsibility for stewarding in our lives. Work out your salvation. Learn what it will take 
for you as individuals. Learn what it will take for you as Yates Baptist Church to listen and adore that great life that we just sung about or sang about and make it real here and now in the expression of our lives, of our choices, in our words, in our works. So obedience no longer is a matter of do it or else. It is instead much more like, like a musician who learns the rules of music. But if you never listen deeply to how they will apply, even when you choose to break those rules, you're not much of a musician. We learn from others the basics of what health requires, the basic practices of health. But at the end of the day, we are stewards of this great gift called our body in our own lives. No wonder he says do it without grumbling or complaining. This life with Jesus is no longer a matter of do it or else. You've seen children grumble and complain. They don't want to do it. And in a sense, the call of God upon our lives in Jesus Christ is cultivating a sort of posture in relationship to God and a posture in relationship with one another where, forgive me, we want to want to do it. And when our obedience takes that sort of shape of perceiving the grain of the life of Jesus here in the world and going with that grain, it can make all of the difference. As we let go of who we are and even what we believe ourselves to be and take hold of the great life that is offered to us in Jesus. Henry Nouwen talks about this so vividly when he reflects on the life and the work of some trapeze artists that he befriended. It was an entire family of trans, 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 say it with me, trapeze artists. And he says, you know, for all of the, the beauty of the acrobatics that you see, the real magic happens at a point in the act that is often overlooked or certainly underappreciated. And that is when one person swinging on the trapeze, uh, the flyer, the one who's going to do the dipsy-doo and, and twirls, when that person lets go. And simply with arms held out, trusts that they will be caught by someone who has timed that swing in such a way to catch them and grip them and hold them. And so obedience for us, if it is not about grumbling, if it is not about complaining compliance, but is instead this act of trust, of letting go of ourselves in order to grab hold of that great life that is offered to us in Jesus, it can make all the difference. We know what it looked like in the life of Jesus. We read about it last week in that great hymn in Philippians 2. We also know that Jesus, when he talked about this in the life of his disciples, he made it perfectly clear in, in Luke's Gospel, for instance, if anyone would become my followers, let them deny themselves take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. 
And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Deny yourself. If there's anything that we don't want to do, it's that. We're into affirming ourselves. We're into satisfying ourselves. We're into celebrating ourselves. We're into getting what we want. And it's become somewhat twisted and bent in an expression of what we sort of call our American dream sometimes. But Paul is challenging us to look not only at our own interests, but at the interests of others. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. Jesus challenges us to let go of that self-centered mind with all of its arrogance that measures everything in life simply by the way it serves us. To deny our desire to do it our way and instead to come alongside his way. Deny yourself, Jesus said. Take up your cross daily. It was Luke who remembered to include that word daily. That this whole business of obedience, of releasing ourselves and letting go in order to trust God catching us, it's not a one-time occurrence, but it becomes the basic pattern, the fundamental practice by which we live our lives. When I was growing up, uh, every summer I would go to camp and I would go to youth camp And in some way, there was this expectation cultivated that this would be the summer when everything changed always and forever. And so I was one of those that made their way to the the altar, you know, every, every summer. Not sure I was saved before, but I want to be sure I was saved now. And hoping over and over again that this would be the once and final and forever commitment And then I bumped into Jesus' call. This call to discipleship here that says, no, it's not a once and forever thing. It is a daily commitment when you awake and when you go to sleep and a thousand places in between, you are confronted with a choice to locate the grain. Will I go with it or will I cut against it? And Danny talked about this really well, talking about this kind of essential mindfulness to our present choices that can make all the difference as we continue to practice the way of Jesus over and over again. We find ourselves being lost, more and more caught by a life that we did not have on our own. We know what it meant for the Apostle Paul Paul had a long list of those he had ticked off over time. And Paul also listed his own credibility, even to the Philippians. He talks about his position. He talks about his education. And all of these things that we hold so close for wealth and security, he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. 
This apostle who lost everything that he thought was important, discovered an identity that patterns the very way of his daily life. Not that I have already obtained this, he said, or that I have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, straining toward what lies ahead, forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. J.B. Phillips in his translation captures it beautifully. I keep going, grasping ever firmly that purpose for which Christ Jesus grasped me. He's telling us what it means to live a life in response to that great therefore. That the great life and death and resurrection of Jesus that is the story, it is the template, it is the vision, it is the reality that constitutes this fellowship is ours to experience as well. And it's not just for us. Last week we talked in some ways about our internal life. How the life of Jesus as a servant can tune or calibrate our efforts with and for one another. And I suggested to you that the practices of the Christian life can really only be faithfully practiced within a community that's committed to seeing the transformation that comes from practicing the Christian life. But today we remember there are more stakeholders in this work that we do. That as we faithfully live and embody the way of Jesus in the world, as we cultivate a trusting relationship that allows that salvation to continue to manifest more and more in our daily choices and our daily activities, a watching world receives a light that shines even in the darkest of places. Each and every time we baptize someone here in the baptistry, we give them a candle to remind them of their vocation, to be light in the world as Jesus commanded. It's not just for a new believer. It's not just for individuals. But instead, when this light shines, it tells the truth about who God is and what God is doing in the world. Paul looks forward to this amazing day when the fruit of all Christian labor is made visible. As he tells the Corinthians, when all the gold and silver and precious stones that result from Christ at work in us are gathered up as they're displayed, as the wood and the hay and the stubble are all burned away, this steadfast continuation of Christ's work in us is going to be on display. And we can look, not with self-satisfaction, but with amazement that even people like you, 
and people like me had a part to play in this great story of bringing the world back together into that chorus of praise before the risen Lord Jesus. Therefore, you're going to leave this place. You're going to go back to school. You're going to go back to the nurse's station at the hospital. You're going to go back to the retirement center. You're going to go back to all the various locations where your life is lived every day. And you'll be confronted with opportunity after opportunity to make a choice about how you will speak, how you will act, how you will choose. Will you choose obedience? Will you let your light shine? I want you to want that. Amen.